Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Our guest today is Paul Johnson. Paul is a partner and managing director of Esalen Research. Esalen helps tech leaders build robust and reliable tech organizations. Uh, before he started Esalen, Paul has also worked for Qualcomm for over 20 years, and he worked his way up from software developer to senior director of engineering, overseeing a worldwide team of hundreds of engineers. He has some great stories and insights to share with us today. So let's welcome Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joni. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. I'm honored that you decided to join us today. So I first, I, my first question for you is, are you Canadian? <laughs> well, there's so many like stealth Canadians in California. Uh -huh. supposed to, yes, I am Canadian. I, I was born in Toronto. I grew okay. up uh, in a town called London. And yes, but I've been living in Southern California here for, well, since 2000, I guess. Okay, great. Yeah, I saw you went to University of Waterloo and... Um, that's, that's so interesting. And we love Canadians here. You guys are just so much nicer than <laughs> a lot of the other folks growing up, like in New York and everything like that. So thank you. Oh, you, you grew for... up in New York, so you're not too far away then. You're like an honorary Canadian then. Uh, well, I grew up in Boston, actually. Oh, so even, even, yeah, even closer. And I spent, well, we can talk about this some other time, Paul, but I spent a lot of summers up in Canada. So I, oh. I, love, I love it there. Yeah. But on the other side, on, on, in Nova Scotia. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. Over there. yeah. Yeah. So, well, I want to know about, okay, so you moved here straight out of college in yeah. San Diego to Qualcomm, yeah. right? So, I mean, obviously there's an, an obvious reason what Qualcomm would draw you from Canada, but seriously, that must've been a big move. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, it was a big move. Um, you're right. I went to the university of Waterloo for those that don't know. Waterloo is a big engineering school. So it's really, <laughs> you know, they're well known for engineering. And so as a result, what happens is um, a lot of American companies, well, companies from all over the world recruit to Waterloo. Um, so what happened with me is I actually, um, Waterloo is also known for, uh, they do um, an internship program. So you kind of do four months of school and then you work somewhere for four months and you do that all through school. So what happened with me is I first came to San Diego as an intern and it was just a four month uh, with Qualcomm. This was in 98. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll date myself. <laughs> and um, so at that point, it was like such an easy decision because it was like, okay, four months in San Diego, um, all expenses paid, you know, they're flying me down and they're finding me a place to live and all this. And it was almost like a no brainer to do it for four months. Um, and then, but that kind of got me hooked. It got me hooked on the city of San Diego. It got me hooked on Qualcomm. And then you know, naturally, then they offer me a full-time job. So that made it um, a lot easier. And uh, also, I had a few classmates among them, Augustine, who's uh, also a co-founder of Esalen Research with me. Oh, I didn't uh, know you went yeah. to school together. Oh, we went excellent. to school together. That's right. Now, he didn't come to San Diego initially. He mm -hmm. finally made it down here. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, so, the, you know, the combination of I'd done internship and, uh, you know, just getting hooked on the city just brought me down here full-time. 
Yeah, it's hard, especially, I mean, I know what you mean about like having winters and everything and right. uh, coming to San Diego, it's hard to go back. I yes. worry about that with my daughter who grew up here. I'm like, well, anywhere you go. <laughs> well, my, my kids love visiting the snow. They, 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 they uh-huh. like love living in California, but they love visiting yeah. grandparents and being in the snow. <laughs> yeah, it's much nicer when you have to shovel the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. So let's hear about Qualcomm then. Tell us a little bit about, right. you know, your, I mean, Qualcomm has gone like, it's huge company in San Diego, dominates San Diego, right. huge growth. And then, you know, had to scale back at a point and then growth again. I mean, like, tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, it was definitely a journey. Uh, you know, when I joined Qualcomm, it was 99 full time. So you know, if you, <clears throat> at that time, right, it was like the, the Silicon Valley dot-com explosion. And, you know, actually Qualcomm was the number one stock on the NASDAQ, like mm-hmm. massive growth that year. And, you know, it felt, it felt like when you're part of a team like that, that's growing that fast, you, you kind of get this sort of feeling that you're invincible. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, like nothing's going to stop us. Um, it's this feeling of, um, it's, it's really exhilarating, right? You're part of this massive growth and you think you're going to change the world and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I did, you know, obviously learn how to just be a software engineer professionally, how to add value, how to just crank and, and really, you know, get my technical chops up. But then as the years went by, you're right, Joni. Um, I think what, what made, what made it so interesting to stay at one company, which I guess is a little unusual these days is you get to see the arc of, of how things can change. And, you know, maybe may like a huge lesson learned, especially that I like to apply in, when I do this consulting, is just to say, look, you can't grow out of all your problems, right? But when, when you're growing, you kind of feel that way. Um, you know, you just, oh, well, we'll just grow out of it. Oh, you know, we have a problem in this area. Great, let's just go hire another 10 people. We got the money. Um, so there's this sort of mindset and error in thinking that you can grow out of any problem. Um, then the other thing that happens that's so interesting is, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of the processes and the systems, the, the growth outpaces that. So you start off small and you're like, we don't need process. We're different. We're awesome. Um, we're lean and mean. And then you start to grow and you realize, oops, like we didn't set this up right. And you get these sort of unwanted consequences. And what's really hard is to unwind those. So things that are really awkward, like Qualcomm got a little top heavy, right? Um, and so, yeah, and it's, you know, well known Qualcomm had to do some layoffs. Um, sadly, I had to do some layoffs. Um, and, and that was quite a, quite a lesson, you know, um, kind of in my progression. And I had to think about that was probably the biggest career challenge I had was how am I going to handle this? And so, yeah, I mean, so many lessons, Joni, about how companies can grow how can they grow too fast and what happens when you don't set up the systems that are necessary for that growth okay i have a quick question so how many yeah. employees were there when you started uh well it was already fairly big i mean okay. i was employee 9400 okay um, but in terms of software engineering like we all fit in one room like it was whoa like 100 people like it was okay. really small okay so, you know, yeah. 9,400 people because Qualcomm is doing a lot of, you know, chipset work, mm-hmm. obviously, but software was like a new thing. It was really small people doing software. That is so, so interesting. Yeah. And, that, so, and now it's like a global team. I mean, you couldn't, 
you can't physically co-locate them if you wanted to. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 All over, all over the world now. Right. right yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, let me just sort of tie this into some current events or recent events, depending on when you're listening or watching this. Um, you're talking about just this, maybe the carefree nature of this rapid growth, feeling like you're invincible. And I feel like a lot of us, even with our economy growing and thinking that we can just do anything, and all of a sudden COVID, whammo, everything, you know, we're all dealing with this, oh, we right. never thought this could happen and, and having to scale back and realizing, those of us are realizing like, what well, that we didn't have systems in place. We didn't have you know, precautions or uh, any mm-hmm. kind of risk management who are like, whoa, and now yeah. we're in trouble. And so it's a similar kind of feeling. I think a lot of people can relate to that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've spoken to so many people who frankly have sadly lost jobs or had to mm-hmm. do layoffs or, um, you know, and one of the ways I like to kind of think of it, you know, it's really hard because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what's, you know, there's sort of like this backlash against planning because it's like, well, what, what's the point? And I can plan for something and then, you know, a pandemic happens. But the way I kind of like to think of it is um, especially, you know, in, in tech, we often like to think like it's very natural in tech to think about your product as being something you rapidly iterate on and change. Like we all think like, Hey, you know, this is version 1.0 of, of this new widget. And the implication being there's going to be a 2.0 and a 3.0, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, kind of building this idea of change into your product is very natural. But what's interesting is people don't think about that way about their company, right? So one of the things that I think is a great lesson is just get into the habit of like, w- however you work at your company, you know, write it down, think about it, but then just call it like how we work 1.0. Interesting. <laughs> you know I, I mean? love it. Yeah, and then when 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 coronavirus hits or whatever the next black swan's going to be, you know, just think of it in terms of okay, we we have this adaptation built in, um, and then adapt. You know, it's sort of like adapt or die. Sadly, is is kind of the the environment we're in, and those that can adapt do really well, and those that don't have this sort of muscle of being able to to change, um, yeah, the, unfortunately, goes very rough for them. Yeah. Oh, that's very sage advice there. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about the way you work and the processes and the, and the technology as well, but one of the things we love to talk about on this podcast are the people issues that come up. And right. you went from software developer all the way to director. I mean, wow. So <laughs> I, I first question is, you know, just seeing your growth and, and mm-hmm. how you dealt with those challenges. Now, I'm assuming, I don't know, at, at Waterloo, if, if they really teach you some of these management skills, most engineering programs don't. Um, so yeah. Okay. I, I, probably not. Okay. So how did you, you know, tell us a little bit about your development starting out, you know, just as a developer and then moving up and how, what you had to learn and what kind of challenges you faced. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And you're, you're right. I was sort of chuckling when you said that, you know, (laughs) engineering schools don't teach management. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to engineering school. I didn't go to management school. So what I would say is it didn't go well at first. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I mm. didn't um, sort of like I learned by trial and error and making mistakes, which is again, why I like doing consulting now. Cause it's sort of like, I feel like it's a, <laughs> it's a way of giving back and <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever I've learned the hard way, maybe someone can learn the easy way. Right. But I, I would say, Joni, um, you know, there are a couple of light bulbs that happened for me. Um, one of them was this idea that like, I think at first I had 
somewhat of a fixed mindset about people. I thought, you know, some people are just difficult people by nature. Some people are easy to work with. Some people are smart. Some people aren't so smart. Like it was very, you know, and I was, you know, I was young at the time. I was in my early twenties. Like, mm-hmm. You know, that was sort of like a very simplistic mindset. And, <laughs> and when I started working, what I realized is, um, you know, no, that's not really true. Right. I mean, um, first of all, people change a lot, but, but even more importantly, in a workplace setting, what tends to dominate is like the systems and the incentives that are set up. So if somebody's being quote unquote difficult at work, it's most likely not because they're just this inherently difficult person. I mean, sure. Yeah. We all know a few people that are just, you know, okay, hard yeah. but really it has much, much more to do. It's much more correlated to the position that person has been put into. Mm-hmm right? Maybe somebody has like three, four different bosses that they have to please at the same time. And so when you come and ask them for something, they flip out because they don't know how they're going to square that with what they have to do for their three other bosses, right? And so that for me was a bit of a light bulb. Like I start to think about, oh, this isn't about like necessarily navigating, you know, prickly people. It's about sort of like debugging, to use a technical term, what's behind people, and started to develop, like, there's this model called the iceberg model. Maybe you've heard it. it's well-known in management. Where you start to think about, you know, the iceberg model says, you know, all you see in somebody, the tip of the iceberg is their behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. But underneath that, there's a big iceberg of, you know, um, values and incentives that are motivating those behaviors. So I started to think in those terms. And then a lot of things started to just kind of um, break apart and make some sense for me. Um, and then I got some EQ skills with some training I did and mm-hmm. you know, learned, you know, learned how to manage myself a little bit better. Um, and that really helped. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I try to focus on is kind of the systems that, uh, you know, do that. And I'm not going to lie. One thing that really helped me is I got married. <laughs> oh, interesting. Tell <laughs> us about that. I mean, like, how did that help? Well, it's funny, you know, um, I laugh, but you get to, you know, it's one thing to have childhood friends, right? That you've known forever, mm-hmm. but you know, I didn't know my wife from childhood. And so I had to, you know, we have a great marriage. I, we got to know each other and I kind of learned that, yeah, oh, a relationship is something you kind of have to work on, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, <laughs> you have to get to know somebody, mm-hmm. you have to work at it um, in a real way. And I think actually for engineers, that's actually kind of in some ways a relief because it's like, oh yeah, if I want to get to know somebody, well, I got to get to know them. I've got to spend time with them. I've got to ask them questions. I've got to understand what motivates them. And so if you treat it almost like a little puzzle, um, you know, like engineers like puzzles, um, you know, can, can unlock. And I got to know my wife very well and got married and every, everything else. So that also helped me just dealing with, you know, um, situations at work, frankly, um, and having kids the same way. <laughs> yeah. I hear that a lot about kids, you know, I mean, yeah. I can tell you one thing that it helped me about having a kid was learning how to say no so much more easily. Yes. <laughs> like, That's true. In fact, just today, I, somebody asked something, I just said no. I mean, it was just like, wow, I didn't used to be able to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true, actually. It's powerful, right? Yeah. So life and the relationships and, um, yeah, they can really teach us a lot and they can bleed over from one to the other. Uh, right. So hopefully, I mean, we see that in work-life balance as well and how we... Yeah go home. I'm sure your wife would have stories about that as well. So <laughs> hopefully <Yeah>. positive ones. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, um, I'm always at home. We're all at home. For I know. I, yeah, this is, this is a very <laughs> different, different time. Yeah. So uh, let's see. So um, I'm just curious now, you had probably several different leadership titles in mm-hmm. 20 years moving up. Sure. How does it differ now as a director than it did say as like team and I don't know, middle management, yeah. whatever you did, or, you know what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things you learn very quickly is what gets you to a certain place doesn't get you to the next place. Mm. Right. And that's mm-hmm. I think one maybe a mistake that people make in their career development is because um, like early in your career it's really all about productivity, honestly, right? It's mm-hmm. productivity at quality. Like can you deliver the goods on time, on schedule, at quality, right? And so you think, okay, I know how to do that. I'll just keep doing that. I'll produce more and more stuff. <laughs> And I'll just keep getting promoted, right? That's sort of like the early mindset. And then, yeah, when you become a manager and then a director, um, it actually isn't about the hours or the productivity. I remember when I first became a director, I actually struggled with, um, you know, when you would do performance reviews, you write down your accomplishments, you know, what you did. Mm-hmm. I actually really struggled with that. I was like, well, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. All I did was help other people do stuff. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, mm-hmm. that's a whole and new expectation, isn't it? That was the expectation. Exactly. And then I, again, had a little bit of a light bulb and I, I thought, oh, it's really about the systems. So it's about setting up the processes that allow people to work smoothly, right? It's removing roadblocks, understanding, you know, being a systems thinker. So seeing how watching people work and watching where they get blocked and where things don't go so well, watching where customers come in and start to complain about what you're doing. And then like designing, you know, designing it such that, that those things don't happen, right? Um, so I like to talk about the three Ps, people, product, and process, right? So that's, that was the new expectation for me as a director and that's what I keep trying to do, right, is, is, is work on those three Ps. Interesting. So I love it that you said that you're still trying to do it. What do you do to, to continue your lifelong learning and, and development? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's a great question. I mean, you know, one of the things I've become a little obsessed with, and I think mm-hmm. it's a very healthy obsession, actually, is the idea of um, just feedback. Yes. I mean, it sounds, it's, okay. it sounds very simple, but I, I kind of feel like People don't uh, use this tool enough. Mm-hmm. So what I learned is like, there's a very simple social hack, right? Like if I give a presentation, um, no one's going to give me feedback. No one's going to after say, maybe, maybe somebody might say, oh, nice job or something. But that, that's, that's just sort of like, you know, a courtesy, right? <laughs> no, no one's going to send me an email that says, hey, I think this slide was great or this other part, you lost the mm-hmm. audience. Like, because it's socially awkward, right? And so what I found was, this is just a few years ago, actually, if I started, I mean, it sounds so simple, it's almost silly, but if I started asking for feedback, people would give it to me gladly, right? Mm -hmm. So if I said, if I have a presentation now, I'll usually pick two or three people and I'll say afterwards, I want you to give me a critique. What worked, what didn't work, I'll be expecting it. And people were very happy to do it, right? Um, but if I didn't ask for it, they wouldn't, right? So I, I, my point is this becomes addictive. Like mm-hmm. you get the feedback and then you, you just use that to get better. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Um, so I do the, try to get feedback on how things are going. And I build that into the teams I work with. It's like you have to have these feedback loops. 
and what I just described is more on a personal level, but you can do the mm -hmm. same thing at a group level, right? Mm -hmm. You can get the team to come together and be like, what's working? What's not working? Let's work on that. And then you just continuously improve. Right. And then, and that's, to me, is like the whole key to success, both, you know, for your, for yourself and for your teams. It's just that building in a, an improvement mechanism. Well, there were a couple of things about that that I really loved. I mean, first was that you're asking for what worked, not just what didn't work. So many yeah. people just focusing on the negative and you're saying, no, I need to know actually what went well too. So yes. that, uh, <laughs> so I'm not just criticizing myself all the time um, and, and seeing what to keep doing. Uh, but secondly, the thing that was interesting is that you tell people in advance, you're going to ask them for feedback or you ask them in advance. It sounds like yes. so that yeah. they, they can pay attention more and they can also be aware and like, oh, this is not like on the spot, like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, you know, it's more like, oh, he's expecting it and hoping that I will have something um, detailed to tell him. So that, that seems like it would be much easier on the feedback giver as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And that's why I call it a bit of a social hack is because mm -hmm. it, it lubricates the whole thing if I ask for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a book, um, there's a book by Ray Dalio called Principles. Mm -hmm. So in, the, in this book, Ray Dalio, he's on the other end of things. He, he, he espouses this, what he calls radical transparency. And mm -hmm. what he talks about is you should just tell people what's on your mind all the time, essentially give that feedback and that create, and then he, he admits that like 20% of people that come to work for, for him just quit because it's too brutal. Like, Oh, it's, wow. It's this unvarnished feedback. Um, so it's an interesting, it's a very popular book. A lot of people feel strongly yeah. about it, but you know, I found that you definitely need feedback. Like I think Dalio is correct that if you work at a company where there's absolutely no feedback or maybe feedback only at performance review time, it's very unhealthy and you won't improve and you won't have a, a world-class team. I really feel pretty strongly mm -hmm. about that. But what a lot of people do is they just like say, okay, great. We need feedback. Awesome. It's unvarnished, brutal feedback all the time, you know, and I don't think that works either. That, that yeah. ends up with bruised egos. And mm -hmm. so I think this method of like sort of soliciting the feedback, um, you know, works frankly. And I've done it with a lot of teams and it, everybody seems to like it. Yeah. So part of it is, is asking for the feedback, but part is the delivery too, and training yeah. your folks on how to do it in a constructive way. Uh, exactly. that's, that's kind as well and caring. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. There is a, a training in how to give feedback. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Right. And if you can do that, you've unlocked a huge key to success. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, you know, speaking of, um, that probably ties into some of the work that you're doing at Eslin Research. So why don't you tell us right. what you do there as a consultant? Yeah. So um, Eslin Research is a, we're a, a small consulting company that works exclusively with tech companies. And we really, we started it because, um, you know, of course, management consultants are, you know, not unusual. I mean, there, there's plenty of management consultants out there. But um, we really felt like there was a niche here for working with small tech companies. Of course, there's the big McKinsey's and the BCG's and all that mm -hmm. that um, work with big companies. And then you have consultants out there, I think, that work that just would deliver like generic, I would call it manager skills, you know, like, um, but we really wanted to work with tech companies, like the, the problems that are unique to tech companies. And so that's what we do. Um, we work with them and really it's about focusing on the systems, processes, 
um, that are needed for growth and are needed to get to the next level. So we focus a lot on performance management, a lot on hiring, how to get great hires. It's a whole nother topic. We talk another half an hour about mm -hmm. uh, how do you find great talent, you know? And that's a unique challenge in tech because, um, you know, they are, it, it is difficult to find talented people. Um, and really how to set you up and go. So all those lessons I learned from 20 years of seeing Qualcomm grow, I try to apply to my clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, you couldn't have taken it from a more successful company right here, right? I mean, yeah, learning those, you must have good methods here. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in terms of hiring and, you know, you've probably hired a ton of engineers. Um, I don't know, what would be like a, I don't know, a gem that you could share. I know you could talk yeah. for hours, but if you have sure. something, just a little something for, for folks who are listening in. If I were to give a, the quickest tip I can, the quickest tip on hiring is to be extremely thoughtful about what you want and how you're going to get those hires. And it sounds obvious, but a lot of people don't even write down, number one, what they want. So usually when, when you think about what you want, you really have to think about three things. There's trade-offs, right? There's trade-offs between what we call skills, and aptitudes, right? So someone who's highly skilled might be somebody that can, you know, come into your company and immediately add value. But then you might find maybe like a new grad doesn't have quite the skills yet, but might be extremely smart. And so there's usually a trade-off there. So mm -hmm. what's really helpful is if you think down, really think hard about what you want. Do you need someone to come in and do something highly skilled because you need something fast? Or are you looking more to build a longer term um, function. So really think about what you want and then write down your process for how you're going to hire those folks, right? So how are you going to interview them? Design interview questions carefully. A lot of companies don't do that at all, right? They just are like, hey, you know, Bill, will you just interview this person? And then Bill just finds the hardest possible interview question and grills the poor person, right? <laughs> That's not being thoughtful, right? That's just sort of like the traditional way of, of grilling people. So be being extremely thoughtful about how you're going to evaluate candidates. Um, if you want to gem, what I would say is what you're trying to do in an interview is really simulate the work environment. You're trying to evaluate mm -hmm. in a real world environment, how would they work with the team? Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies aren't doing that. They're doing like what I would call old school interviews where it's about maybe, you know, again, grilling the candidate and, and seeing if they can, if they sink or swim <laughs> type of test. Um, so, so that's really it. Having a, an established process, thinking about what you want, and then designing very carefully um, an interview process that really kind of gets you. Because really interviewing is, is it's matchmaking, right? That's what you're doing is you're mm -hmm. finding whether you have a good fit. Um, and, and that's what companies should really work on. Yeah, I would add, Paul, that you know, especially when you're trying to attract good talent, you want to put a good face on your organization too. I mean, if you're just grilling yeah. them and like trying to, you know, squash them, uh, that's not going to leave them happy or like, wow, that's a great place to work. They're going to be thinking, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I think that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just as much, they're interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Mm -hmm. right? It is a matchmaking process. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, every, every aspect is important how you present the company. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they want to contact you for consulting or just to learn more? Yes. Well, you can head over to our website, eslin-research.com. You can hit contact, contact us and it goes, um, you know, I'll, 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 I look at all those emails so you can send those to me. Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, right now, you know, I know it's really tough with um, certainly with COVID and um, also it's performance review season uh, for a lot of, a lot of companies do it this time of year. So uh, I am very happy to do um, free 30 minute consultations with people that want to talk about performance reviews or hiring. I'm offering that right now just because just to help people get through absolutely no obligations just, just as a service. So go to eslinresearch.com, hit contact and um, you can find me there and we'll get in touch. Excellent. Well, this has been really interesting and, and useful. I think people have gotten a lot about um, how you hire and also develop uh, both yourself as a leader and others to, to be better team members and leaders too. So thank you, Paul, for being a guest. Thank you, Joni. It was a real pleasure. Well, thanks to all of our listeners and viewers too. Uh, you can uh, find us in reinventingnerds.com and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit reinventingnerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.